and uh, you've had an opportunity to get refreshed, up next is the longest stretch of the workshop. We'll try to take it easy on you and provide a break. We'll be going until 5 p.m. Pacific time this evening. We are on step and tradition 11. To help get us started this afternoon, I give you our prayer chair, Joy. There she is. Thank you, Jen. St. Francis Prayer from the book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 99. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there is shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather than to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. Thank you, Joy. I give you Chris R. from Ingram Solutions Group. The next 30 minutes on step 11. There it is. There it is. Thank y'all. Thank you. It was so fun sitting there at break and listen to all y'all. Just like I said, so much knowledge. There's so many of you out there that are so dadgum smart. It's just, yeah. Enjoy uh, being a part of that, uh, that little nest. I can't get on this without learning some stuff. And, uh, you know, Every time Billy shares, I, you know, I cringe a little bit because I, I, you know, I remember the times that I've stepped in myself and not adhered to the traditions. And, and, um, you know, I said this, you know, the other day, yesterday when we were talking, that's just, it's my absolute desire to continue to grow in this. And um, I'm not going to reach any spiritual mountaintop, I don't think anytime soon, but, um, you know, it's, on any given day, I can see where I'm making mistakes, and the whole purpose is to try to improve and try to get better. So uh, um, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do just that. And uh, the uh, the 11th step, y'all, and um, I get my little book here. Soft prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Funny little squiggly lines as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Golly, it's pretty simple. It seems I got a buddy named Charlie, Charlie P. Some of y'all know him and he shares from the podium. He talks a lot about it. He, he says the 11th step is not extra credit. It's uh, it's amazing to me how many people I come across that pay lip service to the 11th step, but they don't actually do it. Uh, I've got a um, a guy in my sponsorship lineage named Paul uh, Paul M. Paul Martin. He's been dead a million years. He's a wonderful guy, and uh, some of y'all maybe have had the chance to meet him. He did a lot of speaking out there, guys. If you ever get a chance, he was from Riverside, uh, uh, Chicago, and uh, he was an author and he wrote a ton of stuff. He wrote uh, probably 18, 19 articles for the grapevine over the years and uh, really good. A lot of his articles, he talked about the 11th step stuff, talked about meditation. And uh, he was a voracious meditator. 
and I, uh, in my lineage, and I was just kind of brought up with it. I, uh, that my whole idea, uh, it, it was just something that was so necessary for me to do. My little mind, 9,000 miles an hour, and uh, needed something to kind of slow it down. So, uh, one of the things that I wanted to hit on, watching that clock, one of the things that I'm going to hit on, um, meditation in these pages, Bill Wilson's talking about from 85 to page 88, three pages that we're going to talk about this meditation stuff. The meditation that we're talking about here is not the meditation that you hear so much out there. Again, uh, there's a thousand websites out there you can go to, meditation sites. You can meditate with hundreds of thousands of other people at the same time, which is pretty cool, kind of a neat deal. But that's not what the big book is talking about. If you look at, get one of those old dictionaries that everybody's been talking about and look up meditation, like in a 1938 dictionary, the, the, the book refers to this as thoughtful contemplation. When we take the directions directly out of the big book instead of what you hear in meetings, it reinforces this idea of thoughtful contemplation. As meditation, uh, it's um, this whole idea of thoughtful contemplation goes against what so many people teach as meditation. We're, you know, I, you know working or treatment for years and, and being in seminars and workshops and everybody wants to go. Some of y'all in here do it too. The idea we sit and we're going to empty our mind and we're going to go off to the astral plane and, you know, just it's okay. There's lots of ways that you can meditate. What Bill Wilson meant when he wrote this was not that. What Bill Wilson, read the history. What Bill Wilson wrote about here was this thoughtful contemplation. We're going to get quiet with God. We're going to start. We're going to start uh, listening, paying attention. The Oxford Movement was all about guided meditation. They were all about, you know, uh, two-way meditation, meditation in groups, you know, to get guidance. The whole purpose of this is to get guidance. It's not so I can relax. It's it's so few people kind of get get on that same page with it. The thoughtful contemplation. Let me let me put it another way. I think. The question is not once we get to this place in the steps, once we've, we've cleared out all the clutter of the fourth step, we've done that in the fifth step, we've made these stupid amends, we, you know, we, we've, we've done some stuff, we've got some truth about ourselves in the earlier steps. There's, there's a thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be some communication with this higher power. The question is not whether you're, you're, you're going to be given messages. The question is, are you going to hear those messages? And some of you guys will click off, you know, click, click, they're all leaving. You know, everybody starts thinking it's correct. But this, that's the absolute truth. I, I depend on it. That's God's been trying to scream instructions at me forever. It's just it's just a fact. The problem is I haven't been listening. I've been too cluttered up with fear and anxiety and all of this other stuff going on. When I shut up for a few minutes, get quiet, and ask God, and there's lots of ways to meditate, guys. Bill Wilson wrote about it. It's uh, it's uh, uh, There's a great little article out, out there about Bill Wilson uh, learning transcend, uh, transcendental meditation uh, right before he passed away. And uh, 
Bill uh, died in 1971. This was in the late 60s, early 70s, when Bill was actually sick. He was actually uh, in a bad way. And a friend of his uh, had, had uh, from a family had known about transcendental meditation and had come and had taught him that. And this article about how much Bill Wilson enjoyed it. I mean, Bill was was smitten with this idea of communicating with um, uh, spirits, with with, with our higher power. And uh, a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but it's, if you read the history stuff, it's, it's there. And uh, I got to tell you guys, it's, it's, I could tell you a, a, a thousand examples of how it's changed my life. If we start uh, getting quiet, um, I do it here at this desk. A lot of times I like nature. Sometimes I'll get out in my backyard and talk to the squirrels for a few minutes. And, uh, you know, I got a little fenced in area, so I'm quiet. Nobody thinks I'm weird out there and I could just, I can get quiet, but I can do it here in front of all my little AA stuff that people have given me over the years. And, and I, it's a safe place for me. I got to tell you, but I can, sh- and I don't listen. I don't play music. I don't do it. I just get quiet. I start to breathe and pay attention to my breath and, uh, you know, my prayer is always, you know, God, show me what you want me to, to, to hear. And uh, guys, I I may do this forever. And, uh, you know, for periods of time and not get much guidance, I always, I never meditate in the morning unless I've got one of these. This is a trusty little uh, half, you know, small legal tablet. And I've always got one on my desk. Because a lot of times when I'm meditating, folks, stuff will start coming to me. You know, I'll get guidance. The, the thing is, you want to start arguing with it. And that's what I've learned with some experience is I stop arguing with it. I'll, I'll write it down. And then after my meditation period, which lasts usually, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, I, I'll, uh, I can look at this again and I can see, is this, is this, is this just indigestion? <laughs> or is, is God actually trying to, to, to talk to me here and give me the guidance that I need? Uh, I got to tell you, I'm going to give you a couple of little examples. I, uh, uh, if you, hang on just a second. Book talks about different types of meditation. Some people do it in the morning. Some people do it at night. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Where were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves that need to be discussed? with another person at once were or we kind and loving towards all uh, what could we have done better were we still thinking of ourselves most of the time or are we thinking about what we could do for others of what we could pick uh, uh, pick I can't read pack into the stream of life but we must carefully not drift into morbid uh, remorse or morbid reflection for this will diminish our usefulness to others after making our review we ask God forgiveness and inquire correctively our measures what uh, corrective measures we should take. I mean, he's given us the instructions. How many of you guys do nightly reviews and send them with, uh, send them to your sponsor or send them to other people? It's like, it's not 10 step stuff they're doing. This is nightly review stuff. And if you get quiet and get this, you can do it in the morning. Again, guys, you can do it in the evening. I don't care. I just, evening's a bad time for me because I've just, I've always got so much stuff going on, uh, it seems like. But early in the mornings, I'm all by myself and, and, uh, and I can get quiet and this stuff will start coming to me. But it's in this stillness that I start getting guidance. I'll, I'll tell you what it looks like. I, uh, a couple examples. I was, uh, this was a couple of years ago. I was in, in meditation and this guy's, uh, 
just this guy's name crossed in front of my little face. I just, it was just, you know how you just think of somebody when you're driving down the road and think, why don't I call this guy? You know, whatever. But this is in meditation. And I got this little call from this, this just tapped me on the shoulder and I made a little note. And after my little meditation, 15, 20 minutes later, I picked up the phone and called this, this guy. And, um, Actually, I didn't. I waited a couple hours because he's out there towards the East Coast. I mean, the West Coast. It's earlier. And I didn't want to wake him up, but I still, it was about eight o'clock out there in California when I finally called him. And, um, uh, he'd been a, this kid had been a host of mine when I spoke out there one time and he picked me up at the airport and hauled me around and, and, uh, just a, just a nice little guy all lathered up about the steps and stuff. And he's just, just a wonderful kid. And we stayed in touch for years and years, guys. That would be, you know, 10 years earlier. And, uh, uh, I call this guy out of the clear blue sky and I just you know, get him on the phone. I recognize his voice and he says, buddy, how you doing? And he said, what, why'd you call me? I said, but you just crossed my mind this morning in meditation. Are you okay? And he got real quiet. And he says, can I call you back? And I said, absolutely. Anyway, I went on about my, my work and, and, uh, 30 minutes later, he called me. He said, I can't believe you called me this morning. I said, buddy, what's up? His voice, he was in trouble. He was not in a good spot. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, I've, I've left AA. I said, are you, are you drinking? He said, no, I'm just I'm just not going to go to AA anymore. I, You know, I had a, a conversation with an old timer in a meeting and I said something and he didn't agree with it. And this old timer kind of ate my butt in front of everybody. And and I um, I'm just done with that. I'm just I'm not going to put up with it. So I got you. I said, what happened? I said, nothing. We got in a yelling match in the, in the, in the stupid meeting. I said, oh, I see. A little bit more is involved here. Yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I called him some pretty, pretty mean things and, and, uh, oh, it's okay. All right. But listen, let me tell you what you need to do. Come hell or high water, you know, you can, you can, um, you can leave AA anytime you want. You don't have to be mad or have a reason. If you, if it's not working for you, you just want to go, go. But, uh, but you can't be doing what you just did. Why don't you go back and talk to this guy and clean it up? Well, God, I don't know why I have just, you don't have to. I, buddy, I was just concerned about you when I called. You, you, maybe God intended for this conversation to take place. Go clean your mess up. And then call me back in short conversations. Okay. Well, I didn't hear from him for about two days. And I'm getting a little worried. You know, I was going to call him, make sure he was okay. And out of clear blue, he calls me again. And I uh, pick it up. I said, buddy, what happened? He said, God damn, Chris, you're not going to, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, well, what, what do you mean? Well, I went to him and I told him, says, I apologize to him for, for calling him those names and, and for us having a big old fight in that AA meeting. I said, yeah, and then what? He said, well, of course, he turned right straight back around and apologized to me for being a poot and uh, talking to me the way he did. And I, I said, yeah, see, sometimes that's the way it works when you make amends. He said, yeah, and you're not going to you're not going to believe this. I got me a new sponsor. <laughs> I said, oh, he, he said, yeah, he's my he's my bestie now. So like, oh, OK, this guy had gotten away from the program. He started drifting away. 
He'll follow, and now all of a sudden he's, you know, got back because he's doing the things he knew to do, the spiritual actions that were taught. Now all of a sudden he's back in the saddle again. You know, he's got the same old guy, you know, sponsored him and he's out there kicking butt. Talked to him not long ago. He's still kicking butt. That's, that's what this stuff is about. You think it's a coincidence that I called him that morning. Guys, this was real clear marching orders. When I get a, a, a name in my face, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to that person. I had a, uh, a lady in Houston call me about a lady that had come to the facility where I worked for detox. And uh, she was, uh, she'd been sober a long time. She'd been sober about 26 years. And uh, I don't know if any of y'all have had experience with this during COVID, but there were a lot of people uh, during COVID that, uh, especially early on, a lot of us, I included me, uh, were never going to get on Zooms because, um, you know, it was stupid. And, uh, you know, who knew that in some parts of this country that our meetings were going to be shut down for as long as they were. And um, there were a lot of people I never, ever in my history around Alcoholics Anonymous, which is over 40 years, I, I have never seen more double digit sobriety lost than I did during COVID in those early years, 2021. And uh this lady had, had pulled back. I'm not going to go to those Zoom meetings. And uh, she had, she was meeting maker stuff. She just wasn't going to go to meetings anymore because the meetings were shut down because of that. And she ended up in trouble. Short order, the insanity came back and she got loaded and, and uh, she ended up back in treatment. And uh, anyway, this friend of ours in Houston had, had, had told me to check on her and uh, I'd looked for her. I couldn't find her. And uh, one morning I'm, in prayer and meditation, getting quiet, and uh, I think about this lady, and I made a little mental note, and uh, that day, I was looking for a bookcase for my office, and there was an office on the other side of campus that I had, I maybe had been in, in my 30 years there, <laughs> had been in one time, and I went over to look for this bookcase, and I walked right into this lady. If nobody else around. It's just me and this lady in the deal. And so I find, I got a chance to see her. And I said, are you? And she said, yes. And we got to sit down and talk. And I got to say it, guys, there was no coincidence about that. If I'd have seen her on the side of the sidewalk out there, I couldn't have talked to her the way I, I needed to talk to her. Because she had been there for, for a, a week and a half, and she was hiding out. She was mortified that she had relapsed. Y'all, y'all follow it. She'd had long, 26 years of sobriety and she, she'd lost that sobriety date. And she was, uh, she was not going to do anything. She was coming back in, uh, remorseful, beating herself up for what had happened. And I had to talk to her. And I'm going to tell you guys, we've still got a bunch of people in this room. If you're one of those out there that has had some sobriety under your belt and lost it. The last thing you need to be doing is beating yourself up. And I'm going to say this. If you have a sponsor, this lady had a counselor that was telling her that she needed to come back as a newcomer, that she needed to come back in and humble herself and uh, and just listen. And I'm telling this lady that was not my experience. And I'm telling anybody that's listening in here. While I've got a captive audience, so to speak, if you happen to be one of those people that lost that some sobriety, some length of time, don't come back as a newcomer. That is absolutely ridiculous. 
You had all of this experience. Now you have the experience of stepping on yourself and losing that sobriety date. You need to come back and get in the trench as fast as you can. The big book is so crystal clear. Intensive work with other alcoholics is what's going to keep us sober. And you're coming back from a relapse, and now we're going to tell you to come back as a newcomer and sit on your butt and feel sorry for yourself? Not going to happen. I told this lady what she needed to do was get out there and start kicking some butt again. Guys, we, sometimes we, we get sick again. Okay. That doesn't mean we're bad. That doesn't mean we're, it's, it's like sometimes in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's like we shoot our wounded. Like we're punishing them. We just need to stop that nonsense for, for big time. You need to jump back in and start picking up where you left off and let's just continue to go on. And I feel pretty strongly about that. Yeah. Because I watch a lot of people continue to relapse and never come back. After some well-meaning person who didn't have a clue what they were talking about told them to do that. I don't need punishing when I relapse. I need love. I need to feel useful again. This lady got back in the trench and she got back, started chairing meetings in her group. And I got to tell you, she's kicking butt. I saw her at Christmas time. She was at a little, little alumni deal we were doing. And she's up there just, she doesn't even look like the same woman. She's just, she's all excited about her life again. I'm so grateful for that. Guys, it was not a coincidence that I ended up walking into this lady where I did. This is the stuff I cannot tell you half the time. I said it earlier. It's not a question of whether you're going to hear God's guidance. It's a question of whether you're going to listen or not. Pay attention to what God is showing you. I can't tell you how many times I'd sit there and get quiet. I uh, I left in, uh, the place I'm working. I left in, uh, in uh, 2010 to go uh do another little deal, and it turned out kind of crazy. And anyway, I'm working at this place, and I'm loving it. I, I love the place. But every time I would get quiet in meditation, I would think about this other, this old place I used to work. And it was this, this, this little line in my head always, go back there. And I'd be out, you know, through the day. It would just continue to come up. And one day I just got tired of listening to it and I made some re- little research on it and found out if it would be possible. And I went back to the place that I had worked for shit, you know, 17 years before. And it's like, it was so cool to get a chance to come back to this place because I loved it to death. Coincidence. It's just, I was listening to God's guidance. God will tell you what to do. I, I need to say this, folks. I might not get a chance in the next session to do it, but. God wants us happy. You know, I listened to an old old geezer in a meeting one time. You know, he says, there's nothing in the book about being happy. This says we're going to stay sober. You you know, obviously you don't know where your big book is because mine says it over and over. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Talk that little line, happy, joyous, and free. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, it's just, guys, we didn't get sober so we could be miserable. And there's too many people out there not working the steps that are miserable. And I think because they are, everybody else has to be too. And I'm just saying, sometimes God places things on our heart to get us out of a different situation. I know this is AA and we're talking about this. There was a little article. You can Google it on it. There's a lady named Debbie Ford wrote it. And, um, and it's called Thank God for Your Discontent. It's a really good article. 
it, but, it, but basically the gist of it is <laughs> thank God for your discontent. Sometimes God will put this stuff on your heart to wake you up and pay attention. If you're walking through your day, driving to work, and you're miserable, going through your day, you're miserable, sitting at the dinner table at home, and you're miserable, there's a problem that's not okay. And you're going to sit there and justify this stuff. This self-pity stuff, self-pity kills more alcoholics than anything else out there. Fact. I could get a witness on this group right here. I guarantee you. How many times have I got a case of that, you know, to heck with it and, and, and got loaded? It's just not okay. But this self-imposed crisis, you know, this idea that we're all martyrs. Well, I just got to learn to live with it. No, you don't. Guys, life is about compromise. There's some things that we have to do. I'm with that. But I don't give a but. I don't care if you're 18 or 80. If you're not okay in your skin, when my insides don't match my outsides, I need to make some changes. Good sponsorship showed me that. Because you won't stay sober being miserable. You won't stay sober. And so you start getting quiet in this prayer meditation. What happens if God starts talking to you about changing your careers or your relationships or the town you live in? And then again, the, the immediately you want to start arguing why you can't do that. Well, I don't have enough money to do that. Well, I'd be too old to go back to school. I can't possibly do it. Shut up. <laughs> Shh, be, be quiet. It's in the stillness that we know God. Just be quiet. Listen. Figuring out how to do it, God will show you. God places it on your heart. I guarantee you God will show you how to open the doors. I've never seen it fail. I just say it's a soapbox of mine, obviously, guys. Rant, rant, rant. You know, it is. I just, I, I, I watch so many people sitting in, in our rooms not happy, believing that they've got to stay in those situations. And it's just not my experience. It's, it's time to, to go back to school and, and learn something that you really want to do. God dang it, God. I guarantee you we've got a bunch of people in this room. We've got nearly 400 people in here. I guarantee you there's a bunch of you right now that are doing things in life because somebody else wants you to do them. That's not good. You've, you've set these parameters. i got to tell you, there's some great quotes out there about, about getting to a little place of, of understanding God continues to put this stuff on your heart in this meditation. Start listening and start paying attention. I wanted to start a business one time. And in prayer and meditation, I started thinking, you know what? Maybe I could do that. And I went to Alcoholics Anonymous right before my AA meeting. And I started talking to them about, about what I might could do. And I was all getting excited about maybe starting this little business. And the guy sitting in catty corner across from me said, Chris, I got a warehouse full of that equipment you need. Man, you come help me clean that out, and I'll make you a deal on all that equipment. He did. He practically gave it to me. Just a coincidence, right, guys, that I'm talking about this stuff that's been on my heart for the last few days, and it's been coming up in meditation for weeks, and now all of a sudden I'm talking about it, and all of a sudden the solution to the problem appears. Guys, we're spiritual beings. We're walking a spiritual path. Start listening. Start paying attention because I guarantee you God's got some guidance for you. One other thing the book talks about, I'm not going to get back in the reading. We just touched on it. Uh, avoid remorse, this reflection, this looking back. I, this is not meditation. When I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself, hurting, that's not meditation. Stop. 
You're, we want to start staying focused on the good. Some of us in this little gathering, guys, I, I tell you, we've spent so many years in therapy looking at the bad stuff that we, it's, we're, we're having difficulty seeing the sunlight outside. Let me give you a real quick little analogy before I let you go. Some of y'all know I'm a cycling, uh, cycling guy, I'm a bicyclist. A guy in, in the program got me riding bikes. God, I was, I was about five years sober and I started riding and I still do, folks. I'm getting old geezer and I can't ride as often as I used to, but I absolutely love it. One of the things they tell you when you start riding bicycles, uh, for any newcomer, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Look at where you want to go. If you're riding a road bike or a motorcycle, the same thing. Look at where you want to go. Don't look at where you don't want to go. If you're looking at the guardrail, you're going to come awful close to the guardrail if you don't hit it. Stop looking at the pothole. Look at the clear path next to it. And your bike will just turn right straight over it. You'll miss it. Look at where you want to go in life. Stop looking at the crap in the back. Stop looking at where you don't want to go. Because we got way too many people out there. I did it for years doing that. This is what meditation is about, guys. Bill Wilson's old prayer was, put me where you want me and keep me there. Look and see what Bill Wilson did. With the help of Bob and those first guys that started Alcoholics Anonymous. Come on, I'm a big history buff. Y'all know it. Just read the forward to the second edition. It'll give you a little rundown about kind of what happened. Look and see what happened. Bill Wilson's in Towns Hospital with Abby carrying the message. And Bill says, yeah. And they start talking about maybe what they could do to help other alcoholics. And this whole big dream came about. That's God's stuff right there, guys. That's God's stuff. God's going to put you in a spot where you can help other people. God will change your life if you'll give it a shot. Whatever power you're praying to, folks, I guarantee you, I've never seen it fail. It's in the stillness that you will know God. So in the mornings when you get a chance or in the evenings when you get a chance, get quiet. Just get quiet for a few minutes and take a couple of deep breaths and ask God to show you what he wants to show you. And then pay attention to what he shows you, because I guarantee it's going to be good. Thank y'all so much. Thank you, Chris. And now, speaking on Tradition 11, for the next 30 minutes, once again, from the Tell It Like It Is group in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, I give you Billy N. Thanks, Billy Alcoholic. Hope everyone enjoyed their break. Let me set my timer right now. So, Tradition 11, I'll read the long form first, of course. Our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our name and pictures as AA members ought not to be broadcast, filmed, or publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by the principle of attraction rather than promotion. There is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. The short form, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. I would tell anyone that's listening, you could go to aa.org. You could search public information or anonymity. And there are a couple of 
uh, things that will pop up, the public information workbook, the anonymity pamphlet. Um, if you have uh, Traditions Illustrated, um, there's a picture says our society is not a secret society. We carry the message anywhere we can. And then it says, but we must be ever aware that self-appointed messiahs speaking for AA through public media can do us great damage. And there's a couple of things it says here that I love. And maybe it's some things, and if there is anyone here involved in service, I know what I'm going to say is controversial. But I'm taking it from the literature. So for people doing public information panels. Hold on. You can hear me, right? Awesome. So for people panels or involved with sending speakers into schools or other places like that, what does it say right here in the pamphlet? It says alcoholics who have recovered through our program are themselves the strongest attraction that AA has. So I just want to repeat that. Alcoholics who have recovered. So when someone says, oh, just send a young kid because it's a high school. Nope. Send a recovered alcoholic. Now, it happens to be a young kid who's recovered. That's great. But the same could be true for any kind of special audience in the public you go to talk to. It's a recovered alcoholic. And then it goes on to say, but many of us have chosen to tell our friends, neighbors, and employers, coworkers, doctors, or spiritual advisors that we are in AA. When we do so, we are not breaking our anonymity in the meaning of this tradition. Giving the general public an accurate picture of AA is the chief job of our public information committees. In addition, they often carry the message to certain groups, from police officers to personnel directors, whose work involves contact with active alcoholics. So it's so important to understand that this is our public relations policy. I know anonymity gets all thrown up in the 11th tradition, but this is our public relations policy. How do we relate to the public? If you have an AA comes of age um, and you go to page 128, it says, therefore, the responsibility fell on us to develop the best possible public relations policy for Alcoholics Anonymous. And then there's another one of these gems here about its big book quality. On page 129, I love this sentence that says, we knew we had to exercise self-restraint. Where have you heard that before? Where have you heard about discipline? We needed to have self-restraint. And then it goes on to say this. They were genuinely baffled by our assistance upon anonymity. That's the public and the news media. And then it says this, but they soon got the point. Here was something rare in the world. A society which said it wished to publicize its principles and its work, but not its individual members. Again, I want to point out about speaking at outside groups. What does it say? wish to publicize its principles. It is not wrong to talk about the steps or the big book or being recovered. If people are telling you that we should have some other message, that's not what it says in our literature. A society 
which said it wished to publicize its principles. I don't know why sometimes that we get so worried about transmitting what is AA. It, it just makes little sense to me. Now, I do want to talk that we've already talked about open meetings. But I do want to talk about you as an individual AA member and the public information that you can do. It's all a public choice for us as to whether to share with people whether you're a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's your choice. As long as you're not publicizing at the level of press, radio, and film, your last name, your public pic, your face picture of your full face. But I just want to, I just want to really like get the point across. A lot of people do not know what alcoholism is. Although most people have ran into an active alcoholic, they have no idea what a recovered alcoholic looks like. And that's because it comes in so many different forms. You know, when I was 15 years old, I thought, I thought AA looked like a bunch of people going to church. That's what I thought AA looked like when I was 15. But, you know, you know, the way we hear people say in meetings, well, I thought alcoholics was somebody who like, you know, lived under a bridge or wore a long trench coat and had a bottle and a bag. Like, but we all know that active alcoholics come in lots of shapes and sizes. Same with recovered alcoholics. One's outward appearance has no, is no judgment whatever about their inward spiritual condition. That's why when I hear people get so caught up about, you know, I don't care what you dress like. I don't care how long your hair is. I don't care how many earrings you have. I don't care how much ink you might have on your body. None of that, none of that has to do with being a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Zero. But I do know, and I'm just going to tell you a recent story in my own life. It's about a year old. The house that I'm sitting at, I bought like a year and three months ago. About a year ago, when I was getting everything situated, I realized, you know, I need to get a doctor closer to me. Otherwise, my doctor's going to be like 40 minutes away. And I went to this doctor that I checked out. It had really good, she was considered one of the best doctors in where I live. And so I went through all the stuff. When you see a new doctor, I got a full physical. I got all my blood work. I got everything. I gave her my history. I filled out the form that a lot of doctors ask you to fill out. It asked me if I drank. I checked no. It even had a section below if you drink, how many drinks per week? That kind of shocked me because it was like one to three, three to five, and five to eight, like a week. Like the largest scale there was eight drinks a week. I was like, wow, like this really is a different universe than, than you know, where I come from drinking. But I actually wrote next to that question, sober, 32 years. Recovered alcoholic. That's what I wrote. 
And so after all my blood work came back and everything else, the doctor called me and said, let's meet and we can go over and make sure everything's okay. And when we got to that part of my medical history, because I have some other medical history, I don't have a left kidney, I don't have a spleen. There were other things to discuss. I've had a couple of knee surgeries. She's like, sober 32 years, like, and I'm going to quote her. She said, not even one. And I said, no, um, in, for AA, for recovered alcoholics, that's what sober means, like, not even one. And so then we went on to have about a half hour conversation. What I could tell you is she knew very little about alcoholism. And she knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous or recovery or the world that all of us live in every day. There's so many chances for us at the not public level to work with people like that. And they'll always remember that. They will always remember that. Sometimes people... I work in a profession. I've been in that industry a long time now. I have, I guess, somewhat of a high-profile executive position in that industry. I don't break my anonymity publicly in that anywhere. But I can tell you that as a result of practicing these principles, many times a year do I get a phone call and someone wants to talk to me about themselves or their son, or their parent. I get a lot of calls because I was a troubled teenager alcoholic from parents who don't know what to do with their out-of-control alcoholic kids. But the point I'm making is I've been able to be effective without having to break my anonymity. I've been able to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to let AA speak at the public level. The first public service announcement, we call a PSA, went on TV in 1966. Today, there are public service announcements on TV and radio. Someday, I hope, we'll see them on Netflix and YouTube and other things. We already have a YouTube channel where all our public service announcement videos are posted so that if someone searches certain words like, I want to stop drinking or... Alcoholics Anonymous, they can go right to YouTube and see one of our PSAs. There is a chance, I would tell you, because this is the only tradition in the last 40 years that has come to the level of the General Service Conference to change. The short form specifically, because it's what people see on the poster in the meeting every day. They wanted to add and new media technologies. Now, the conference in a service piece has added that, but they have not changed the tradition. Um, But we have so many places we can fall down. If you happen to be a professional that gets asked to speak, be careful about wearing only one hat at a time. Be careful about your public image in the industry that you work in. There is a treatment center uh, organization that has a treatment for so-called C-suite executives 
chief financial officers, chief accounting officers, chief executive, chief risk officers, chief marketing officers, high level executives. That's who goes to their treatment center. They have a once a year alumni reunion. A couple of years ago, I was asked to be the keynote speaker at their reunion. After much thought and prayer and talking to people that I take advice from, I declined. I don't want to be known at that level as the poster child alcoholic in my industry. That's not what I want to be known as publicly. I know that I can say I'm an alcoholic and not say I'm a member of AA and I'm not breaking the traditions. We don't own the word alcoholic. We're free to say we're an alcoholic wherever we want. However, I hear people do things like say, well, I'll just say I'm a member of a 12-step program. I don't know. What 12-step program do alcoholics go to? If you said you had a gambling problem and you're a member of a 12-step program, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out you go to Gamblers Anonymous. I mean, that is not a, a nifty angle to shoot to get around it. If you're speaking publicly for AA at a public information gathering, you need to make sure that whoever is the first speaker or the leader is recognizing that possibly there's members of the press here. I would ask you to not use our last names. I would tell the members speaking to not use their last names. I would ask the press or anybody there to not take pictures that show our full face. I know a lot of people don't want to believe this, and I know if you look at Facebook, you will see it, but there is an advisory action that we don't use cameras in AA meetings. It doesn't matter if you're taking pictures of AA members that are later going to be posted on a secret group. Think about the new person coming to AA. Half of our name is anonymous. They don't know what you're doing with those pictures. If I see a person taking picture at the golf club I go to, I have a feeling that they're going to put pictures in the monthly newsletter. If you go to church and someone's taking pictures there, maybe your church has a weekly or monthly newsletter. What is the newcomer going to think when they see somebody taking a picture? I've seen family members hold up their phones to take video when someone is celebrating an anniversary. While I know they are so proud and thankful, what does that do for the person who came there? Because anonymity made them feel safe. That's why it's half our name. Social media, a whole other different animal. But we don't want to be too secretive. Remember I told that story about the nurse that said you must be famous. There's 50 lunatics giving the security people a hard time about coming up to visit you. Well, if I don't know your last name, how am I going to visit you at the hospital? We don't hide from each other. And I think I said it already, but I'll say it again. It's no problem using your last name in a regular meeting. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of recording that goes on in AA where people don't tell you they're recording things. It goes on in meetings and workshops and all other places because technology makes it so easy to record today. So you have to be careful of your last name for sure. The long form of the tradition also um says 
we think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. What is sensational advertising? Well, whether it's on a billboard or I've seen it, you know, alcoholics love diners at the end of a long night of drinking, a good diner. Uh, a lot of diners have placemats that have advertisements from all the local businesses. That's a great place for an AA public service announcement. As are shopping carts, as are signs in airports, as are billboards. But we come up with things that just focus, if you're an alcoholic, we may be able to help. There's a catchy phrase out there I see a lot. If drinking or alcohol is your problem, that's your business. If you want help, that's our business. What we don't do is we don't publish, we don't have billboards of crashed cars or somebody at a DWI checkpoint taking a sobriety test. We don't have public service announcements with somebody's head in a toilet puking after being out drinking all night. We, we stay away from sensational advertising. The other part in the long form that it says, um, our public relations policy should be guided by the principle of attraction rather than promotion. But don't let people twist this around for inside AA. There is nothing wrong with promoting AA inside AA. Again, not individuals, but AA. How else will newcomers hear about the Alcathon that's on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's? How else will a newcomer hear that there's an AA event? And Chris already talked about loneliness is something that plagues alcoholics. What alcoholic in their journey through becoming a recovered alcoholic hasn't learned the gift of being able to be alone without being lonely? But that takes a lot of time. The newcomer needs to know that Alcoholics Anonymous is basically available 24 hours a day. There's all kinds of events going on, service events, workshops, big book weekends, conventions, roundups. There's nothing wrong about letting people know about that. Now, on social media, if you don't have a restricted friends list, you could break your anonymity and not even mean to. When Facebook started with the thing, unfortunately, it started when there was no Wi-Fi in the plane. But I learned my lesson. I travel for work a lot. So there used to be this little thing where you could check in. It's still there. And you could say, where am I? I'm at the airport. And then Facebook automatically recognizes you're at the airport and says, where are you going to, Billy? And I write, I'm going to Los Angeles. And then all of a sudden, the public post is out there. Billy's going from Atlanta, Hartsfield, Jackson Airport to LAX. Nothing about AA. And then I'm up in the air for five years, five hours. And then when I land, what's there? Like 30 comments. Welcome to LA. And then, and then inadvertently, they can't help themselves. You hitting any meetings while you're here? What meeting you going to? Same thing when you post publicly, even if you don't write you're a member of AA. If you write you've been 
10 years without a drink. Somebody in AA is not going to be able to help themselves in that comment section. I just already read about our problem with self-restraint. And with, with social media, it's not one comment. It's the aggregate of comments that can break your anonymity. It's the letting people put a story together by all the different comments that are out there. Now, if you take the time, you can have a friends list that's just members of AA. Or in a secret group, just members of AA. I'm not a big fan of pictures inside a meeting in secret groups because we have a group conscience that says we don't use cameras inside meetings. But we still have to be careful inside secret groups. I know we talk about AA doesn't make coins and sobriety coins usually don't say Alcoholics Anonymous on them. But if you post a picture with a circle and a triangle, it says unity, service, and recovery, or first things first, or God knows what else, or a picture of Bill and Bob. Even if you say nothing, aren't you announcing your sobriety to the world? And I know there's a big movement that's anti-anonymity. I want to go back to the big book for a second. Chris talked about. There's a lot of heavy drinkers in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't deny that. For myself, what I've learned over the last 30-something years, the real alcoholic's DNA is not wired to handle success because they're sober. Our DNA is not made up that we can handle fame based on sobriety. And so when you're out there doing that, you're just putting yourself at risk. You're making yourself the poster child of Alcoholics Anonymous. And and we don't know how long AA is going to work for any individual. We don't want AA based on any individual reputation. We want it done on Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole. There's lots of different things out there about how do you protect anonymity. I would tell you, if you get invited somewhere, talk to someone who knows about public information. Talk to someone who knows about speaking to people outside, you know, to non-AA audiences. There's actually a helpful pamphlet, Speaking in Non-AA Settings. Um, There's so many tools that we have. The last thing I want to say is this. I am not saying don't be proud for being sober. For most of us, a day of sobriety is a miracle beyond miracles. And I'm not saying it's not okay to be proud that you're doing what's expected to stay sober at Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just when you take it over the line and you want everybody else to think that. And one more thing I'm just going to say about public anonymity. I spent a good portion of my early sobriety in New York City. New York City is a city where you take subways and buses and walk everywhere. You are constantly running into people in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
please tell your sponsees when you're working with them new about what is AA and what's not AA. When I meet somebody that I know in AA and they're with somebody else who I don't know, it is my sacred obligation to speak in that conversation like that other person does not know this person, a friend of mine, is in AA. Not until they give me their permission that the other person knows they're in AA am I allowed to say that. Now, if I run into them alone, of course, are you going to the meeting tonight? Haven't seen you in a while. What's your home group now? That's great if you run into them alone. But I travel for work all the time. I I run into other people traveling for work. If they're with somebody that they work with, I have to act like their anonymity is important. And it's their choice whether to break it, not mine. Thanks, everybody.